0: Well, good morning. All right, I'm glad that you're here today. Have you ever promised something to someone and you didn't follow through? Anybody besides me ever done that? All right. We, we probably have all done it from, from time to time. Maybe, maybe you promised your wife that you'd clean out the garage, but then your buddy called and asked if you wanted to play golf. Or, or maybe you promised your parents that you'd be in by 11, but, you know, it was more like 12, 12.30. Uh, Or or maybe you promised your doctor that you'd start exercising, but, you know, it's been so hot. We've all made promises that for one reason or another, we just didn't keep them. What's worse is that some of you have had people in your life who repeatedly made promises to you that they didn't keep. As you look back on your life, some of you have a dad that always promised to come to your ball game, but he never did. Or your husband, perhaps, even now, keeps promising that he's going to stop drinking. Or your friend has promised a hundred times that they're going to come to church with you. But you've heard it all before. The words, when they come out of their mouth, you know they don't mean it. You know it's kind of meaningless, empty talk. And it's probably almost gotten to the point where you wish they just wouldn't say anything. And God would say to you, I know how you feel. If you want to hear some empty promises, God would say, you ought to sit with me on Sunday morning and watch what people say. And do you know when we're most likely to do that? We're most likely to make promises to God or the word we might use is vows to God. Usually we make vows to God when we're in trouble or when someone that we love is in trouble. There's a health problem or a money problem or a family problem or a marriage problem or a job problem or a spiritual problem or an addiction problem. Uh, Vows are simply the way that we tend to deal with problems that we can't solve. But you're not the first one to do that. Psalm 66, 13 and 14, just listen to what it says. I will come to your temple with burnt offerings and fulfill my vows to you. Listen to the next part of the verse. Vows my lips promised and my mouth spoke when I was in trouble. Since the days of the Old Testament, people have been doing that, haven't they? Since the days of the Old Testament, when we get in trouble, we start making vows to God. You're not the first one to come to church to bargain with God. God, if you will, I will. That, that's a common expression. It's a common experience. God, if you will heal me, I will serve you. God, if you will help me get out of this debt, I will tithe. It just happens in our lives that when we feel the pressures and the problems of life, many times we tend to turn to God because we can't handle the problem and we say, God, if you will, I will. There's a perfect example of that. Our text is going to be Ecclesiastes 5. But before we get there, I want you to run over with me to 1 Samuel chapter 1. I want to show you a, a perfect example of this type of making vows. If you will, I will. 1 Samuel chapter 1, I'll tell you the story of why you're finding that in the Old Testament. 1 Samuel. Samuel chapter 1 is a story of a young lady named Hannah who desperately wanted to have a baby, but she couldn't get pregnant. I've never walked that journey. I don't know that struggle of faith that some of you know, the painful issues that you have to deal with when you're trying to have a child and you desperately want a child and for whatever reason you're not able to have a child, that was Hannah. And to make matters worse, Hannah's husband had another wife which is strange to us right now but in the old testament days that was permitted and 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 her husband had another wife and she was fertile myrtle i mean she was just she was just able to have baby after baby after baby and and she liked to rub it in to hannah that that she was able to give her husband a son and hannah was not able to give her husband a son and so hannah's broken hearted she's a young lady who desperately wants to hold her own child and a young lady who desperately wants to give a son to her husband with that context, look what it says in verse 10 and 11. In bitterness of soul, Hannah goes to the temple one day. And he goes, she goes to what we would say she goes to church. So she goes to the temple and she prays. And here's how she prays, verse 10. In bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. And she made a vow. There it is. She made a vow. Saying, O Lord Almighty, if you will... If you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will, I will give him to the Lord for all of the days of his life. And no razor will ever be used on his head. Now it's interesting that when you study the Bible, it doesn't say that we shouldn't make vows to God. But it does say that when we do make vows to God, we need to be careful about the vows that we're making. And that really sets the stage for Ecclesiastes chapter 5. I want you to, we'll come back to the story of Hannah towards the end, but I want you to go to Ecclesiastes chapter 5 because Solomon speaks to this very issue of the vows and the promises we make to God. It's interesting that in the first four chapters of this book, Solomon tells us his story of trying to find purpose and happiness and meaning in life. And if you've ever, or if you've been with us for the last few weeks, you remember some of those things that he tried to find satisfaction and purpose and meaning in life. And he was always grabbing for it, but he never could get it. It it was just meaningless, he said. That was his conclusion. Everything is meaningless. That's the first four chapters. In chapter 5, it really begins a transition Where in chapter 5, he's not just talking about the emptiness of our lives. In chapter 5, he's talking about the emptiness of our worship. Chapter 5, he makes the discovery that even worship, even going to the temple, even that can be meaningless if we're not careful. Again, if you look at the whole context in the first four chapters of Ecclesiastes, God is rarely mentioned. Now, he is mentioned, but but he's not mentioned a lot in the first four chapters. But when you look at chapter 5, God is mentioned six times in the first seven verses. So there's a clear transition occurring in chapter 5. And I want you to notice how this chapter begins. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. That's how it begins. Guard your steps. Be careful how you approach the house of God. Then I want you to notice how the passage ends in verse 7. Much dreaming and many words are meaningless. Therefore, stand in awe of God. As I was studying this text, I recognized that those two verses really serve as brackets for the rest of the text. Guard your step as you go to the house of God and stand in awe of God. Or saying essentially the same thing though they're emphasizing different things but they're both talking about the seriousness of our worship they're both talking about not taking our worship lightly that we don't casually go into the presence of God or casually worship the Lord so those two verses verse 1 and verse 7 are are brackets for the rest of the text and, and everything that comes between those two verses show us the right way and the wrong way to worship God And between those two brackets, verse 1 and verse 7, there are two profound truths that I want you to get. Two profound, wise pieces of advice for all of us to help us guard our steps as we go to the house of God and help us stand in awe of God. So there's two things that he tells us between those two verses. Here's the first one. Look look on the screen. Here's what he says. Listen, and don't offer the sacrifice of fools. Now, that may not make a lot of sense to you yet, but it will. Listen, don't offer the sacrifice of fools. So, look again at the first verse. Guard your steps as you go to where, church? Talk to me. Guard your steps as you go where? To the house of God. Now, remember, Solomon was the one who built that house. Solomon was the one who built the temple. And here's what Solomon says. Listen, Be careful. Guard your steps as you go to that place. Guard your steps. Be careful as you approach the house of God. You know why? Because it's not just any house. It's not just any building. It is the house of God. It's not just any building. It is the building of God. It is the place where God dwells on earth. So guard your steps. Be careful how you approach the house of God. Now, of course, the house of God for Solomon's day would be the temple of God. Everything about the temple was designed to help the worshiper revere God. I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but the temple was majestic. When you read the description of the the temple, it was a majestic building, and it was signifying that we have a majestic God. The temple was also, at least the very front of the temple, was very tall. 207, 207 feet tall, about 20 stories tall. So as you entered the temple court area and walked toward the front of the temple, you were face, You looked up and saw this huge 20-story tall face of the temple to remind you of how big God is and how small you are. Not only that, but everything that happened around the temple and everything that happened in the temple was a reminder of how holy God is. and How sinful we are. So it makes sense, doesn't it? When Solomon is saying, listen, be careful. Guard your steps as you go to the house of God. And you know what he's saying? You might want to write this down somewhere. Don't casually stroll into God's presence. And then he explains what he means by this. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. And here's the explanation. Go near... To what, church? Go near to listen, rather than offer the sacrifice of fools. Solomon said, here's what I mean by guarding your steps. When you go there, go near to listen, rather than offering what he calls the sacrifice of fools. Now that's an interesting phrase. We don't usually go around talking about the sacrifice of fools. So what in the world does it mean? I think if you read verses 2 and 3, you'll understand what sacrifice of fools really is. Verse 2. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth, so let your words be few. Now, Now, when he's saying, God's in heaven, you're on earth, I don't think he's talking about the distance between you and God. I think he's talking about the difference between you and God. God's in heaven. You're on earth. He's, he is eternal. You're not. So he's talking about the difference. And then he says, verse 3, As a dream comes when there are many cares, so the speech of a fool when there are many words. You put those two verses together, it seems like that he's talking about the, the many words that we can often offer God when we come into His presence. The meaningless words that come out of our mouth. The pious talk that is simply empty promises. Telling God what we think He wants to hear. Solomon says that's those that offer the sacrifice of fools That's what they're doing. They're just yapping. Look up here. They're just yapping, 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 yapping. Trying to impress God with everything that they're saying. And you know what Solomon calls it? He calls it the sacrifice of fools. Then he says something very, very interesting. He he basically says they don't even realize they're doing wrong. Look how he describes it. Verse 1. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen rather than offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know... That they do wrong. Lisa and I went on a hike a couple of months ago, and it it was like a two mile hike. It was not an easy hike, nor was it a difficult hike. It was kind of a moderate hike, and you go up and around the mountain and back down the mountain, around and everything. And um, so we were coming back down on the other side, and and we got behind this family <clears throat> let me describe the scene to you that first of all there was the husband he was walking with a little white dog and just just enjoying the trail behind him was his wife and three boys She's trying to keep them on the trail. She was trying to keep them out of the poison ivy. She's telling him to get off that rock. She said, stop throwing the sticks. She, she was wrestling with them all the way, the two miles down that trail. She was wrestling with them the whole way. And he's got the little white dog. So we get, we get to the end of the trail. We get to the end of the trail, and if you go right, it goes down to the parking lot. If you go left, it goes to another trail. I promise you, this is what he said. He didn't even look back. He just kind of turned his head like this. Hey, hon, there's another trail that goes this way. You want to go on that trail? She said, nope. (laughs) You didn't have to be a marriage counselor to understand what was happening, right? And then my sweet wife, as we walked by and got out of earshot, she said, typical man, clueless. And I laughed like you did, and then I, st- I literally stopped and thought, wait a minute, I'm a man. <laughs> Solomon, I'm going to get in trouble for saying that, I'm telling you right now. Solomon is saying in this text, you don't have to be a man to be clueless. We're all clueless. We think that when we come into the house of God, we've got to say something. We think when we come into the house of God that if, if we say a lot, Maybe we'll impress him. We think when we come to the house of God, we've got to make empty promises. And Solomon says, you're wrong. It doesn't even, we're clueless. It doesn't even enter our mind that maybe God wants to speak to us more than He wants us to speak to Him. Ever thought about that? Maybe when you come to church, God wants to speak to you more than He wants you to speak to Him. With That context in mind, look at verse 2 and 3 again. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth, so let your words be few. As a dream comes when there are many cares, so the speech of a fool when there are many words. Solomon seems to be emphasizing God's not really overly impressed by what you say. You know what really grabs the heart of God? What really grabs the heart of God is when he notices that you are interested in what he has to say. You're you're never going to come to church and say something to God and God's going to say... Wow. Thank you for sharing that. I didn't know. You're you're never going to say anything to God that that it's like, God, I, I know you don't you don't get this, you don't know this, but let me let me bring you in on it. No, no, no. God's really not interested in that much in what you have to say, but He's very interested in what He wants to say to you. So guard your steps. Stand in awe of God. How do we do that? Listen. And don't offer the sacrifice of fools. You see, we have unfortunately reduced worship to merely singing and praying, when in reality, worship involves listening and obeying the heart of God. Now, the second thing that he puts in this text to help us understand how to guard our steps and how to stand in awe of God, the second thing is this do, don't delay. And again, that may not make a lot of sense to you yet, but if you look at the text, I believe it will. Look in verse 4, get your pen ready. When you make a vow to God, that is, Solomon says, I understand there'll be times when you have to say something to God. Uh, There's there's just times you you just have to speak, and sometimes you even have to make a promise or a vow. So he says, when that time comes, verse 4, when you make a vow to God, watch this, do not delay, underline that, do not delay. In fulfilling it. Do not delay. And and notice what he says at the second part of verse 4. He has no pleasures in what? In fools. Fulfill your vow. Now, if you like to write notes and cross-references in your Bible, right there in the column beside verse 4, I would write in this reference. Deuteronomy 23, verses 21 to 23. Deuteronomy 23, verses 21 to 23. Let me read that for you while you're writing it down. <clears throat> Very similar to what we re- read in Ecclesiastes. Here's what it says. Deut- Deuteronomy 23:21. If you make a vow to the Lord your God, do not be slow to pay it, for the Lord your God will certainly demand it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. If you make a vow to the Lord your God, do not be slow to pay it. Don't delay. Then he says, verse 22, But if you refrain from making a vow, you will not be guilty. Verse 23, Whatever your lips utter, you must be sure to do, because you made your vow freely to the Lord, to the Lord your God, with your own mouth. We read verse 23 again. Whatever your lips utter, You must be sure to do because you made your vow freely to the Lord your God with your own mouth. The writer in Deuteronomy, Moses, and the writer of Ecclesiastes, Solomon, both understood the tendency that we have to say things to God that we really don't mean, to make promises to God that we really don't intend to keep. So, why do we do that? Why do we lie to God? Well, usually we make vows to God to gain God's favor. The idea is that if I make a promise to God, then He'll somehow be obligated to me. Or to put it this way, we think that if we do what God wants, then He'll do what we want. And so we promise. We make a vow that we'll do what God wants. So He'll do what we want. Even today, during crisis, people often make vows and promises like that all the time. God, if you will come through for me, then I promise I'm going to do this in return. If, if you'll heal me of cancer, I'll, get, I'll uh, serve you for the rest of my life. If you'll give me a job, if you'll give me a spouse, if you'll get my children out of a jam, I will fill in the blank. The danger, the danger is this. The danger is not in the vow. The danger is that once the problem is gone, usually so is the promise. We forget about it. But now, you know that I, as well as I do, that sometimes vows and promises do not come in times of crisis, they come in times of inspiration. Yes, they do come in times of crisis, but lots of times vows come in moments of enthusiasm and inspiration. Maybe a middle school camp or student life at the beach and, you know, you get inspired and you promise God all kinds of things. You promise God you'll go to Africa and you do all of these kinds of things And as a middle schooler and... Or maybe it's in a worship service like this and you hear that stirring music and in your heart you, you make a vow, you make a promise to God. Or maybe when you open your word it's just, or his word, it's just you and God and you're home alone and the word comes alive and you get inspired and you get excited and you make a vow, a promise to God. Now here's the problem I found. Maybe you can agree with this. The problem is that it's much easier to make a vow than it is to keep it. Anybody else live there? Now, let me, without trying to insult you, let me bring you back to Ecclesiastes 5 and tell you what God says about that. Verse 4, when you make a vow to God, do not delay in fulfilling it. He has no pleasures in fools. And the word fools, I looked it up, it, the Hebrew word there literally has the idea of Arrogance. He has no pleasure in people who are so arrogant that they think they can fool God. They're so arrogant, they think that they can say something to God, promise God something, but they don't have to fulfill it. That's arrogance, to think that you can speak to Almighty God, and you can promise God something, and then you can walk away without ever doing what you promised. It's arrogant to think you can make a vow to God that you don't plan on keeping. And so Solomon says in verse 5, he reaches this conclusion, it's better not to vow than to make a vow and not fulfill it. And then he gives us an example in verse 6. In verse 6, he gives us an example of someone who goes to the temple and they probably make a financial commitment. And then they didn't fulfill that financial commitment. So guess what they were doing that day? A, A temple official would come to your house and say, well, you promised to give X number of dollars to the temple, but you haven't fulfilled that. Give it over. Look how they respond, verse 6. Do not let your mouth lead you into sin. And do not protest to the temple, or to the temple messenger, my vow was a mistake. Solomon said, listen, God, you, you can't say, listen, I, 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 you know, I kind of got caught up in the moment. I didn't mean to write so many zeros on that card. I mean, my vow was a mistake. Look what he says. Why should God be angry at what you say and destroy the work of your hands? And then he says, much dreaming and many words are what, church? Yeah. Your worship can be just as meaningless as your life. If you're saying things to God that you don't mean, and you're making promises to God that you don't keep. Here's the bottom line. Look on the screen. Worship is just as meaningless as the rest of life unless you're willing to listen to what God says and do what you say. Now, do you remember the story of Hannah? We started the sermon talking about Hannah. Can I go back to that story for a moment and tell you kind of the rest of the story? Hannah, after she prayed and poured out her heart to God and made this, this vow, God, if you will, I will. Hannah went home from the temple, and the Bible says in chapter 1 that Hannah actually got pregnant. She had a little boy. She named him Samuel. And she loved that boy. She was so grateful to God for him. This was the boy she had prayed for. She finally was a mother. She finally had a son she could present to her husband. Joy filled her heart as she watched Samuel grow. Bible says also in chapter one that when he was probably about three, because it says in the text when he was weaned, and in the Old Testament days, that was around the, the age of three, Hannah knew she had a decision to make. Now kids at age three are just adorable, aren't they? Lisa and I are getting ready as soon as service is over. We're gonna to drive to Columbia and pick up the world's greatest grandbaby. We're meeting halfway. we want to bring her home for a few days, and she's two and a half, so she's about this age, and she's just adorable. She really, is, she's just so much fun and so cute. She's just adorable, and I bet Hannah, I bet Samuel was too. Can you imagine what it was like for Hannah to pick up Samuel, carry him to Jerusalem. Look up at that temple where she had prayed. Walk inside. Look at his smiling little face. Kiss him and hug him. And hand him to Eli. Then walk away. And I'm guessing, but I'm pretty sure this probably happened. More than likely, a friend or a family member, probably several people, said, Hannah, why did you do that? You don't have to do that. Why would you do that? And her response would have been this. Because I told God I would. Because I told God I would. Because I want to. Not because it feels good my heart is breaking oh God I would he is dedicated to the Lord for the rest of his life and once a year she would go back to the temple and see her little boy Lots of women in the Bible that I admire and that inspire me, but the two women that inspire me the most in the Bible, I guess kind of two of my favorites, are Hannah and Mary. Hannah in the Old Testament, Mary in the New Testament. And they inspire me because of their faith in the Lord and their walk with the Lord. Such strong faith and such a a real walk with the Lord. Mary, for example, had such a strong faith and such a walk with the Lord that God gave her his son. Hannah had such a strong faith in God and such a walk with the Lord that she gave God her son. wish I had that kind of faith. I wish I had that kind of a walk with the Lord. I can't imagine. What that was like for her. To fulfill her vow. God, if you will. I will. And so we come to this point of application. Look, put, put this on the screen. The next one. When you come to worship God, come with an ear that listens. With a heart that obeys. That's when worship is meaningful. Rather than Meaningless. When you come to worship, not to say a lot of stuff to God, but you come to worship to let God say some stuff to you. When you come to worship with a heart that is ready to obey, rather than a mouth that's ready to say a lot of stuff that you really don't mean. The Bible says to obey is better than sacrifice. Sacrifice. So, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I would like to ask you a question. Would it be true of you, with every head bowed, every eye closed, could I ask you this question? Would it be true of you that in reality, you've been taking your relationship with God far too lightly? If Ecclesiastes 5 teaches us anything, it teaches us that we don't play games with God. When we come to worship God, we come with an ear that listens, and a heart that obeys. For some of you, the application of this text is, what is it you promise God? and When are you going to do it? Now, I recognize that it might be that, you know, Keith, I promised God when I was in middle school. I'd go to Africa, but I mean, I was in middle school. I get that. I understand that. It may be that you've got to process this and say, God, I just need to figure out were you calling me to that or was that just something I did out of enthusiasm? Was that the call of God on my life or was that just a moment of inspiration? So you've got to pray through that. I get that. But, But for some of us probably, you know what it is you promised God and you know what it is that you haven't done. And the scripture is very clear. It could not be clearer. When you make a vow to God, do not delay in fulfilling it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. God, if you will, I will. I pray, Father, that you'd help us to live in reverence to you recognizing that you are in heaven and we are on earth and we need to mean what we say and we need to do what we say. And we take our relationship with you seriously rather than casually. And may our heart be ready to obey your word. I pray in Jesus' name.